honest private phone call without them, we can say whatever terrible things about Frank and Torm we want, because this is totally private. <laughs> I still didn't get paid after that last job. Yeah. I think, I mean, I didn't really solve the problem entirely, so I understand not getting the back half of what I was promised, but like... We showed up, we were on time, and we hit Torm's as many times as Frank asked us to. And magic cards are expensive. I don't remember the magic cards. Is that something from the episode or is this something else? No, that's just in real life. I need to buy magic cards and they're expensive and otherwise oh, I'm unemployed. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you know, I've, I'm already two anime streaming services deep and I'd like to be three. So I could use that money too. Nice. You know, it's a good thing Torm isn't here because then I could talk to, about anime for an hour and just really... <laughs> we could dig deep. Yeah, yeah. No, that's... I don't... I don't that's fine. <laughs> so yes, I, I'm I'm calling you today. I have a vague, ominous feeling in my gut, and, and I worry about what I'm channeling, if I'm channeling anything, uh, and if, if I am channeling something, if it's coming from, from inside of me or outside of me, and, and that's I guess that's sort of what we're going to try and unpack today. Yeah, I'm fine with that. Uh, I feel like a lot of the work I do is just metaphysical diagnostics work. Yes. Half of the time, the answer is to tell people either to turn it off and on again, or to go to your doctor because it shouldn't be like that for more than four hours. That's true. Well, in our case, they turned everything in the entire universe on and off again. And that I, I feel like uh, our perspectives have been cosmically shift from one each one another. You're, you're sort of locked into the prior, the, the pre-reset incarnation of things whereas my vision is sort of scanning forward into the post reset uh the kind of stuff i don't like to talk about where people might be listening because uh i don't know you hear stuff about like editors people getting cleaned up i just yeah yeah gives me the heebies doctors who don't talk and just hold scalpels start following you down hallways without their feet touching the ground and it's just it's a bad scene all right but you think that you might be channeling something something well, so I, I used to feel very confident that I was uh, that I was channeling this sort of not not a literal mother, but sort of a figurative mother, uh, sort of a, a, a spirit of um, of nurturance, that that was my role in sort of the cosmos. But recently, you know, I've been working in uh, a support position at work for several years now. Uh, and I've begun to realize that I not only don't seek positions of authority, but I but I actively shirk them. And I now worry that I am channeling something much more pathetic, a sort of a sort of unsung champion that sort of lives their life in uh, in drudgery uh, without ever being seen uh, f- for what they contribute. <laughs> yeah, I think there's another name for that too, which is slightly more depressing to you, uh, which is the necessary servant. Yes, so. Uh, the necessary servant is something I've heard rumors of from the before times, but I, I know not—I don't know much of it. The unsung champion is sort of like the um, the sunny side of the necessary servant. The unsung champion is like I'm—I'm I'm content with my lot in life. I—I I exist. To, I'm okay with being the Riker to someone else's Picard. Uh, whereas the necessary servant is is a more uh, there's my understanding. It's openly servile. Servant. So yeah. Uh... Definitely, I can understand why that would not feel good. Yeah, yeah. I'd rather be the unsung champion if I have to pick between those two. Because <laughs> most least, people would. Yeah, and actually, they do have that in 
uh, in the the expanded lore if you go to to book three or you know book three is the one they don't give any rules so yeah this that's a that's a totally second edition of the United States War Game <laughs> on Armies Unknown edition on, three yes correct <laughs> at what point do we break diegesis. <laughs> I should have done it on the last episode because there were non-diegetic things that I needed to say about the naked goddess and didn't, and now I will just live with my shame. Yeah, yeah, it's true. Um, there were things I kind of wanted to talk about with it too that I, that I sort of couldn't. Well, since we'll backdoor is- our way into it this time because that is also thematically appropriate for her. Yes, abs- <laughs> absolutely. And you know, this is an encrypted private call just between the two of us, so we can drop the curtain from those two rubes, Frank and Torm, and and just speak the truth about uh, the the grand conspiracy we're involved in. Okay, so we were we were talking about avatars. We want to talk about conscious versus unconscious. And you said that you think you've been channeling something. You think that it's probably you want to say unsung hero i said necessary servant and uh that's kind of where we got into it i think that there are some avatars that you can only do unconsciously yes i think that's probably unsung true. hero might be one of them yeah so i i think that that's entirely likely um if perhaps the very the very fact that i've become aware that this may be my archetype will means that i will taboo uh, <laughs> and i will be uh I, I will no longer be able to channel it because part of the one of the things that you can't do if you're an unsung champion is you can't become recognized uh, intentionally. And if you become recognized, you have to try and become unrecognized. So in a way, the act of saying that I that you are an unsung champion, maybe not literally, but it, it risks skirting your taboo because then you're in a way you're you're giving voice to to what you are, if that makes sense. Yeah, I definitely think it comes up against. Uh... It's not necessarily seeking recognitions for uh, from others, but just by virtue of naming yourself that yeah. you've recognized what you are, you've declared it. And actually, one of the things that gets tricky to me, I was rereading the Avatar chapter of the of the War Games manual that we disseminate to the Unwitting Rubes. Uh, one of the <laughs> things that gets that gets tricky to me is. Um, they talk about, you know, creating new avatars through assumption, which is you sort of make a slightly different flavor of the old classic. Um, and it's unclear to me, like, how much of an avatar's character is sort of embedded in the name. Like, if, if, a, if a true queen sort of quacks like a true king and walks like a true king... And swings like a true king. Like, even if you're calling it... Oh, sorry, that's not the true queen. It's the, um... What does oh she want to be? The true executive is the what true she's been calling executive. herself? Yeah, yeah. Like, is it... Are you functionally anything different? If that makes sense. Like, even if you're technically, I guess, working through the power modality of capitalism instead of, uh... You know, um... The... the what are they... The right... Like, the, the right... Feudalism? Yes, feudalism, thank you. Um, like, if, if the way you exercise your powers uh, and your behavior isn't functionally different, like, does, it, does, this, does the statusphere care, I guess, is one thing to ask about all of that, too. And that could play into, like, whether someone who's unconsciously channeling an avatar, like, does the statusphere care exactly how they think of themselves? Well, I guess it doesn't because you can, you can just act like it. But then does it matter what it's called? I don't know. I feel like I've said a lot of nothing. <laughs> no, I understand what you're going for. I mean, that's always been something that interests me a lot is the idea that you can pick up an avatar path not by being something, but by 
being perceived as something. That is allegedly the only way that uh, the Naked Goddess makes any fucking sense at all is because it's not an internally coherent yeah, Avatar I don't believe like anything. It, <laughs> right, it, it runs entirely on how other people perceive you, and the ultimate taboo is that you are perceived too intimately, uh, and then it evaporates. You're right, it's so dumb, and I hate it. <laughs> yep, we are shaking hands on that one. Yeah. But it it it's interesting to me that like perception plays so much of a part of it, because you kind of need that to be part of the formula in order for avatars to be interesting past a certain like a to be interesting to interact with in a game sense but also like you know narratively but also for uh any conscious avatar to be workable yeah and like it's interesting to me too because like when i'm playing like one of my favorite moments in a game is like when you can go from an unconscious avatar to a conscious avatar like like because other characters can perceive that status depending on who they are and like how much they know and sort of that moment can be really interesting but it is interesting to think about like how that could change like your actual ability to channel it so yeah i it might be interesting to sort of pick up some some avatars and sort of look at them, I guess, to think about, like, what it would mean to do that consciously or unconsciously. Um, and I know The Fool is one where you... Well, it's interesting. I think the you, best fools are all unconscious. I think yeah. that conscious fools can exist. I think that they all kind of suck. Yeah. It's a specific kind of comedy, like, if you have to know that you're doing it. Yes, it's interesting because... Um, my husband talks about how like there's sort of two types of comedians. There's like the people who are good because their their writing is good, like they write good jokes, and there's people who are great performers because they are good at performance. And I feel like to truly be a great fool, you can't put in your performance consciously. Like like you the, being an idiot has to look effortless to you to other people. Yeah, I would I would argue that it's going back to the idea of how much of an avatar is in their name. The Fool is definitely in its name, and there's a reason why it's The Fool and not The Comedian, right? Like, yeah. Bugs Bunny gets brought up as The Fool a lot or is being emblematic for The Fool, but I think probably the better Fool is Elmer Fudd. Yeah, no, I absolutely agree. And actually, it's interesting because if you look at the channels for The Fool, a lot of what makes a fool a fool is sort is sort of uh and like i used the word unconscious and like i didn't even mean to use it in the sense of like channeling an avatar unconscious and like it's normal like day-to-day use it's like you're you're sort of walking through life like the tarot symbology is very good because sort of it has this idea of the fool is looking forward but he's walking off of a cliff like you sort of have to be doing it without trying because part of what makes it what it is is like you're not consciously tricking people you're you are uh you are sort of spilling soup on people without trying to 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 borrow um the sort of schlemiel schlemazel dichotomy (laughs) i definitely appreciate that one Uh, (laughs) there is definitely something to be said about like fools who are doing it on purpose um yes you can look at comedy, going back to Hot Soup, John Mulaney, real-life comedian. Most of his act hinges on him being a good writer and a good performer who writes funny things. Before he was on stage, before he got big being on stage as a stand-up, he was a writer for SNL. Some of his best work, I think, is from that per- behind-the-scenes perspective. Um, I know he was the writer for Stefan's segments on The Weekend Update. And a lot of Bill Hader's performance came out of John Mulaney changing the cards in the background, like <laughs> the cue cards. He would just change what was on them 
while they were live so that Bill Hader would go from having to do the pre-recorded lines or not pre-recorded, the pre-rehearsed lines that they had done previously to something absolutely new and completely nuts. Oh, so yes. a lot of Bill Hader's performance in those segments is him uh, corpsing really hard trying not to while John Mulaney stands behind the camera with a Sharpie marker and a piece of cardboard grinning like an asshole. Yes. Um, and then at the same time, when he's on stage, when he's doing his act for others, a lot of his onstage act is making fun of himself. Yes. Uh, pretty exclusively and definitely in a sort of way where shit just happens to him. For example, the story of how he got a prostate exam or a story from when he was a kid and part of why he doesn't drink so much anymore. It's all just things that, that happened to him, that he was present for, that he didn't cause. And they were funny, so now he's telling you about them so that you can laugh along with this really stupid fucking thing that happened. Both of those are comedy, but I would I would say that only, like, one of those is classic fool behavior. He can do both, but he didn't get famous until he was on stage. Yes. Yeah. Like, there has to be a, a lack of intentionality to it, I think is what you're saying. Is that correct? Yeah, I think so. Uh, or rather, like, good good fools, people who are very good at it, they need to have both the ability to, I think, not just be performers, but you do need to have, like, a non-intentionality to it. If you are constantly doing all of your own setups, it's less funny. I think that a significant deal of comedy comes from unexpected outcomes. Yeah, part of it is is sort of leaning into... Like, like you can have the awareness of what you are and then your comedy can, as a fool, can come from leading into sort of the way that you are, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. You can't, it, it will never have the same magic if you sort of set yourself up intentionally to, to take the sort of, uh, the pratfalls. I guess it's only a pratfall if you do it intentionally, so I might, I'm not using that word quite right, but you see what I'm saying. Yeah. When I think of, like, other, like, fools, I guess you call them, this is a mask in Unknown Army's terms because it's a fictional character. But if you watch um, Lodge 49, the main character, Dud, is, like, a fool in, like, in that same classic sense of, like, um, he's very sweet and guileless. Like, everything that he falls into, he does so unintentionally. Uh, that character also is kind of the interesting element of, of it we haven't touched on as much, which is like the luck element. Like he's, he gets through life not by being competent, quite the opposite. He's just always in the right place at the right time. And like when things are about to like totally go south, like they suddenly twist out of it at the end. Um, and like part of that is like not making your own luck. It's, it's like that these things come to you. And I think that's the part that's also hard to channel intentionally is is sort of this this luck aspect can't if you're making your own luck you're not a fool you're an opportunist <laughs> yeah that's that's kind of a good point i don't know I, I i i think that all good fools are probably unconscious i don't want to categorically say that there is no such thing as a conscious channel of the fool because uh that's going to be the moment when i start having to watch out for uh pianos and air conditioning units coming unmoored yes. from windows or rope lines above me when i go outside so uh I don't want to make categorical statements here, but I don't know. I think the good ones are unconscious. Then again, I'm positive that Mira is in on the joke. I do love that theory so much. Listeners, you'll go listen to the Ascension was an inside job if you don't know what we're talking about. Basically, that Mira is is not actually a naked goddess avatar. She's she's just a fool. I maintain this is because there is no such thing as a naked uh, goddess avatar because there is no naked goddess. It was a setup. It was an inside job. 
Um, and actually, I was rereading. I was talking to um, to Melon Bread, regular regular to the show Melon Bread, uh, about um, affinity because we were trying to figure out what the fuck that meant. And like, it just means it. It's like the exactly the same kind of luck that the Fool channels too. Like once it I is. read, I once I read that, I'm like, oh yeah, CJ is just right. They're just correct. <laughs> Yeah, I'm right about everything all the time, but especially this. Uh, KY jelly can't melt steel beads. It's true. It's true. And that's why you're number one and I'm the number two Unk Sand champion. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's... I, I, let's go back around. I think that is... I, I got distracted by my personal grudge. I'm sorry. Uh, well, that's the kind of energy we could probably we probably need, honestly. Since, since as I said, I'm in a, in a vague... Liminal anxiety state that makes it it makes it harder for me to have the kind of full throated enthusiasm on <laughs> I've had on prior episodes. So yeah, use that energy. <laughs> all right, uh, I'm happy to. It's all right if your issue is that you think you had previously been channeling unsung champion and now you are conscious of it and you're concerned about what happens next. I mean, there's like the more practical question of, bro, do you want to be an avatar? Like, yeah, no, it I, seems like. <laughs> It kind of sucks sometimes, actually. Yeah, I mean, I know most people who I ask that question to, the answer is uh, emphatically is either, what the fuck are you talking about? Uh, go away before I call the cops. Or yeah, it yeah, is, yeah. Uh, yes, obviously, I want to be like this. I chose to. So I don't know. You you may be at the rare crosswords where you can choose not to. It's true. You can always walk away from an avatar path. In fact, arguably, it's easier to do so than walk away from an adept school because by the time you become an adept, your brain is so so six feet under that your weird psych your your weird philosophy that like it's pretty hard to back out. Yeah, there's no real coming back for that. I mean, well, that's not true. I know at least two different guys who have gone through uh, rehab programs uh, uh, yeah. with some Catholic friends of ours uh, <laughs> who've come out the other side doing at least a little bit better and. Uh, not, you know, putting out cigarettes against their skin for magic. So that's nice. Yeah. You can always walk away. It's just hard. It's hard to walk away and it's hard to stay away in a way that I think is not true of an avatar. Yeah, I guess avatar pads are a little bit less transactional or they should be. Yeah. Though conscious avatar channeling is a lot like adept magic where it is highly transactional. Yes, it's true. You're you're trying to attract the notice of, of senpai in the clouds, so to speak. Mm. Relatedly, in terms of senpai in the clouds... <laughs> Rereading this, I was reminded of theme music. I don't think I've ever been in a game where anyone's used that, which is a shame because it's a lot of fun, especially if you're an unconscious What, theme avatar. music or uh, telling Sky Mommy to step on you? <laughs> I'm not sure what telling Sky Mommy to step on you is, but I'm intrigued. Um, so let's let's uh, put a pin in theme music, and I want what what is what do you mean by that? <laughs> well, I'm pretty sure that's what I've been doing publicly for the least. Uh, for the last several years, read the naked goddess. If she is real, I'm sure I'm about to get crushed. Is this is this similar to Denny's parking lot challenge? It, it, yeah, you know what? That is it. Uh, I think I just <laughs> kind of project that energy in general. I should probably not invite so many people to fight me. I'm very physically fragile. <laughs> I know how all of these fights end, but at the same time, but fight you, me, you, cowards. You, yeah, you can't not, um, if, you know... If we're all just dust anyway, why not challenge? My body is a temple and I will invite the Gauls to sack it if I so choose. Yeah, exactly. 
We were circling back. To, uh, is, is I know. I'm sorry. I get so no, easily no, distracted. No, no, no. Uh, Step Mommy, Sky Mommy was great. I don't <laughs> want to dissuade that in any way. Uh, theme music is a little different than Step Mommy, Sky Mommy. Um, theme music is something in the game where if you channel an avatar, especially at uh, higher levels, um, synchronicity, synch- synchronicity. Synchronicity. Thank you, CJ. Once again, my reader's vocab is striking back. Uh, synchronicity will tend to make things that are sort of like the trappings of your archetype uh, sort of follow you around. So like the literal theme music is one of the the more common examples, like radios will start to tune in relevant songs, but like it could be anything like, um, I, I feel like that example gets used because it's hard to think of other different examples for theme music that aren't audio. So like now I'm trying to think, like maybe, maybe if you're a firebrand, like uh, anytime you're walking down the street, like you walk into like a bunch of anarchists hanging out or something you know you know what i mean or like uh every little free library you open has 15 zines in it um like like all 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 uh people channeling archetypes purportedly like this these sort of weird synchronicities happen to them especially if they're powerful i haven't been in many games where it's actually used very much but if you wanted an unconscious avatar to realize that they were conscious you just you could just make that really aggressive yeah i think that probably would be a way to do it though i guess that brings us back to your issue which is what has caused you to realize that you might be an unsung champion it has recently come to my attention. Okay, I'll use leftism as an example. Uh, it has recently it has come to my attention within the past two years that um, I am frequently recognized as being intensely competent when it comes to organizing things uh, and like uh, getting things done on time and like being of help to other people. Uh, but put me in it, promote me to an actual leadership role. Uh, and I frequently, it's it's not that I can't do it, like I'm actually, I can actually be quite competent in a leadership role, especially uh, if I've sort of armored myself emotionally, but I don't really enjoy it. Like I don't like telling people what to do and I don't like having to deal with other people's bullshit. I would rather be working in the shadows and being told, uh, and being told by, uh, someone that I'm doing a very good job here have have a celebratory cookie than uh, telling someone else that they need to be doing a good job. I feel like true authority is the ability to tell other people to fuck off and stop bothering you. Uh, but this is also probably why I haven't ever been able to maintain a management job. <laughs> Outside of fiction. In fiction, you had a management job and we all loved you. Yeah, that's good. That's- I'll go with that. <laughs> Listen, uh, I did not get paid for that job fully. That's true. That's true. Sometimes you can hate a job even when you're not paid for it, though. That's Jesus Christ, ain't that the truth? You wake up after three months and you're like, wait a minute, I actually fucking hate this. Why am I doing this? The fandom experiences often end up like that. Or at least they have for me. Oh, fuck. Okay, this is a little off topic, but I'm sure we can circle it back around. But there was once, like, a tweet where someone was like, oh, like, why is the RPG scene so toxic with people, like, bickering and infighting? And I'm like, that's every scene. They're all like that. <laughs> like, if there's more than, like, ten people, people are gonna be awful. Uh, and and that's why I like being unsung sometimes. Because sometimes if the act of having attention drawn to you causes people to uh, to start being shitty. Because they want to have the attention instead. 
Yeah, that too. They either want you to pay attention to them or they want everyone else to be paying attention to them instead of to you. It gets yes. uh, gets bad. Yeah. I have changed aliases on the internet multiple times to get away from that. Uh, and I'm sure I will do it again. I, I don't This is know. also good security practices for real life. Every, like, five years or so, it's good to burn everything down, change your name, and move to a new state. Then that's how we keep the feds from finding us. I do use, like, a pen name separate from uh, my real name because uh, my day job ain't nobody's business. Yeah, that's a mood. Part of it, too, is, like, just having to explain it. No, it, like, it's a game, and, like, in this game, you know, never mind. <laughs> yeah, I thought about... Uh, going to record this in my building's like library and then i just realized no people would hear me doing it and uh someone would almost certainly call the fbi and i don't want that file getting reopened don't want someone uh creating a new kiwi key wiki article oh god yeah they have a wiki now it's not just a forum i think the wiki is dying or has or has died knock on wood because yeah. I, I i i know some people who were like upset that like kind of jokingly upset that their key wiki entries like weren't more robust they're like haven't i done enough to piss off the conservatives (laughs) where's my robust key wiki entry but i know some of it's been deleted or so or so i have heard again knock on wood yeah rest and piss uh if you don't know what key wiki is i'm not explaining it to you listener you can google it (laughs) i would recommend that you not google it live your life in yeah the bliss of ignorance yeah it's, it's related to reactionaries. That's all you need to know. What a fucking disaster. Okay, unsung champion uh, diagnostic issues. Unsung heroes are supposed to be kind of people who are defined by doing vital and important work. Yes. Uh, like unsung champion kind of has a connotation of heroism around it. So it should be positive work. Hopefully. And then they don't get anything from it it's supposed to be a purely altruistic uh drive correct and they can't really stop doing it either or if they do they have to switch to something new which will break taboo and they have to restart as the new thing right and what's interesting to that about me is the philosophical question of is there any true thing known as altruism like the thing that we call altruism does that actually exist or even when we do charitable acts are we just motivated by the desire for uh religious reward or for monetary reward or for social reward or for people turning around and telling us that we're a good boy uh or thanking us or just feeling good because we know that we did something good like is it possible to be truly purely altruistic and doing something only because it is the right thing to do yeah that's a great question I feel like a lot of philosophers have talked about it. <laughs> we still don't have an answer. But it does it does put me in mind of something interesting that happened when I was playtesting um, the third of my one-shots, Motown Showdown. There's a character in uh, one of the cabals who um, has moved from the more affluent Detroit suburbs to... Uh, the city of Detroit and is sort of like like a bit of like a bit of a poser like he like he really wants to be like living like the authentic urban lifestyle like when he's from like Dearborn um ah. and like the one of my playtesters who was playing it when we sort of did the debrief afterwards she was like yeah one of the interesting things about playing this character is I really wanted to be the sacrifice because I realized if I wasn't I was like like it was more important to me for me to be thought well of when I was dead than it was for me to be alive and thought por- thought of as like a poser uh, who, whose head was, heart wasn't really in it, if that makes sense. Um, oh, that's cool. Which is a really interesting observation, but uh, 
ironically, like, I feel like rather than, like, disproving the idea that someone can't be altruistic, in a way, like, sort of affirms what you're saying is, is that the idea that, like, even if somebody is, like, a martyr, like, straight up going to die for a cause, like, part of their motivation can stem from, like, being remembered in a certain way. Like, the idea of being remembered as a coward is, like, disgusting to them. And, like, is that, is it still altruism if that's your motivation? So. Yeah, I definitely think there's also something to be said for even a lot of old-timey Christian propaganda, like, was about, you know, I don't care if I die for my cause, I intend to be martyred. I think it would be really cool to be a saint because you need to be a martyr in order to be a saint. Yeah. Um, there's a joke in here about chads and virgins, but I, it's, I don't have it in me. <laughs> Listener, if you have it, slap that bad boy up there. But yeah, no, like, I can see that, absolutely. Um, as, as an atheist, I really struggle with the idea of, like, how much do people believe in heaven? Really? 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 Like, really, though, do you believe in it? And I, that's a question I can't answer because, uh, I know that I don't, you know what I mean? Yeah, my feeling about it is that God is real and, uh, I have opinions he needs to listen to, so if he could do me the great favor of showing up so that I can yell at him, that would be great. Um, that's, uh, very Jovian of you. <laughs> Is that how you say that? Is that a word? It is now, I guess. Gesundheit. What? Uh, God bless you. Oh, yes. Thank you. <laughs> uh, that is the best book, though. <laughs> um, where were we? <laughs> oh, yes. Uh, martyrs. We got lost on the road to Jerusalem, but we were talking about martyrs. Yes, we were talking about martyrs. We almost circled back to the Denny's parking lot again. <laughs> Uh, I think that's because spiritually I live there. You know, in a way, everyone in Unknown Armies lives spiritually in a Denny's parking lot. <laughs> yeah, fuck, that's a little more real than I wanted it to be. <laughs> Sorry. I, I actually had a revelation. This is starting to veer off the of the topic of the episode. I had a revelation like a year or two ago where I'm like, oh, everyone that likes Unknown Armies, like to some extent is a character in Unknown Armies. It's just a matter of like how much. Fuck. I, I really I really wanted to think I was above the fray, that like I was the I was the sane woman, and then I realized, oh no way, I'm also an intense weirdo. Fuck. Yeah, just by virtue of talking about it, caring about this shit. Yeah. Oh no. Oops. I I owned myself. Uh, <laughs> truly, I am the unsung champion because I guess that's I'm pretending to exist <laughs> in uh, in a fictional universe. Um, <laughs> I had a moment too where I was like, well, maybe it's good that I'm like this because then I can channel this avatar path. And I had to have like that half center, like, it's not real, Kate. This is a game book. What is wrong with you? <laughs> That's just what they want you to think. That's true. That's true. We don't, we, you know, it's a good thing this, this call isn't being monitored so that no one can find that out. <laughs> Yeah, you know what, maybe that's the real source of your anxiety lately, is the understanding that we are all constantly under uh, monitoring by the government that claims to protect us. It's true. See, that's my fucked out real moment. <laughs> should, should we talk about another avatar and whether you can channel- Okay, well I will say this briefly, at least. Um, re so I read through the entire- Avatar chapter of 3E, I reread it um, as part of my preparation. And one of the things I discovered is that in 3E, um, there are very few avatars that are difficult to channel 
unconsciously. Like it's much e- it's much easier to say that an avatar is unconscious, I think probably because I haven't read too much second edition in third edition than second edition. The only avatar in the main book of third edition where it uh, it says, oh, this avatar is often consciously channeled is the opportunist. And even that one, I feel like, is probably more likely channeled unconsciously than consciously. Oh, there's also the true king and the, ch- and the captain, which we will have to circle back to. Those two avatar paths are very hard to continue channeling unconsciously for long periods of time. Actually, let's go back to the necessary servant for a minute, because I think that was probably like a precursor avatar to the unsung champion. Yeah, the fact and that they the mention it seems that okay, seems really mention likely. It. Okay. Yeah, they actually right. say like the necessary servant, the unsung champion's nature involves serving others, and then it says how it's different. So, like, I I do think someone sat down and they're like, let's let's put a fresh new spin on this. So, yeah, cut me off a slice of that. So, I think that the necessary servant, in contrast to the unsung hero, is one that not only could be done consciously, but that was frequently done consciously, simply because the nature of the necessary servant is that if you were to leave everything collapses without you it's kind of like the birdie and wooster problem uh the minute that you lose your hyper competent butler everything collapses Uh, oh that's interesting and the necessary servant a lot of people who did channel it part of why they would do it or why people do like put themselves in that position why they stay in places where they they're being used and they know that they're being used is because it feels really good to know that you are the only thing standing between a bunch of incompetent jackasses and the abyss. Yeah, that is really interesting. Whereas in some ways, you know, when we're talking about third edition, there's sometimes there's like the nicer spin on sort of a meaner second edition thing. And that is in some ways the unsung champion is sort of like, well, I'm not in it. For, no, for my self-satisfied feeling of superiority. I'm in it for, you know, because that's the right thing to do. Whereas, yeah, like a Jeeves situation, it's like, yeah, you walk away and it's it's wreckage behind you. In a way, like, that sort of becomes your bomb in your, in your hour of, um, of feeling resentment is, like, the knowledge that people are dependent on you. But it's also what keeps you locked to that cage, I guess, metaphorically. Yeah, I mean, it's a sense of duty for some people. Like, I can't leave because people need me. But for others, it's very much like, you know, I won't leave because people need me and I like feeling needed. That got a little real for me. <laughs> That's definitely did... something that I've had to deal with, like, professionally. Is, yeah. Is just, no, you you can and should leave when shit mm-hmm. is fucked up. Yeah. Uh, just because things will become more fucked up for other people when you leave doesn't mean that you're obligated to stick around and be miserable in order to spare others. Yeah, that is a classic dynamic of uh, of abuse that I've dealt with before. Um, <laughs> but yeah, um, it's interesting too because it says in the mask section that Jeeves is a mask of the unsung champion, but I, I do think it makes more sense if he's the necessary servant based on what you've described. Um I, it's interesting to try and think of a good mask for Young Sung Champion because the other two here, like Central Central Ponza, probably yes, and Watson. I can't articulate why, but Watson feels a little weak to me. Watson feels weak because Watson is the one channeling all, or not channeling, is the one chronicling all of Holmes's adventures. Yes, that is true. We know who like Watson, Watson is. is in, yeah, he. We know who he is. He's inserted into the story. I would say that a potential mask would be 
very early continuity Spider-Man, back when the entire city mm. of New York fucking hated him. Oh, God, that's the best Spider-Man, though, it's early Spider-Man. <laughs> you are correct, sir. Yes, yeah, that's a, that is a good analogy. I like that. Or, like, yeah, you could argue probably a lot of early street, street-level heroes who never sort of make it to the... All yeah. the fancy shit. The people who didn't make it on the Avengers roster. Yes, exactly. Uh, I don't know, Cloak and Dagger or whatever. I, I've spent a while since I've read Garfield comics. <laughs> the Runaways, definitely. That's that's a good example. Oh, that's a great example. Yeah, Necessary Servant, I think, is one that you probably can do unconsciously, but uh, I think it's the inverse of the pool where the good Necessary Servants are doing it on purpose. Yeah, because you can really... That's a, that's a role that you can channel very well in an intentional way, as long as you're not intentionally taking credit. Right. And it also, I think it goes back to that superiority feeling. Like, if you are doing the necessary servant on purpose, it probably feels better. If you're doing the necessary servant on, like, by accident, yeah, that kind of just means that you're a doormat. Yeah. Yeah. You might be, you might find that out and be like, you know what, maybe, maybe channeling uh, Step on Me Sky Daddy isn't so great. Maybe I'll just do something else. Yeah, right? <laughs> maybe this is a wake-up call. Nobody wants to be a doormat or nope, I'm not going to make categorical statements because I'm sure that there are people out there who love being doormats <laughs> and I'm positive that that's at least two different fetishes off the top of my head. <laughs> uh, yeah, but you could argue that, that well, then if it's a fetish you are channeling it consciously because it's it's part of like an elaborate role that you're spinning out rather than something that's just happening to you. It's only abuse if it's not intentional. Oh my god. Risk aware that's- consensual kink. Yeah, yeah. The, uh, there's a lot of there's a lot of brackets and asterisks and uh, caveats to that sentence I just made. So please don't take it out of context. But uh, <laughs> but I do feel like there's a seed of truth there. <laughs> I think that's interesting. I wonder almost if the necessary servant to unsung champion shift happened because the necessary servant was a little bit too restricting. Though I, I would say that the Unsung Champion is even more restrictive, but it's definitely a lot more heroic. In the same way that the messenger changed over time, I'm wondering if the Necessary Servant kind of got replaced with the Unsung Champion because, well, Necessary Servant also has like a little more of a feudal tinge to it. Yeah. Um, it's in the name, but it's also in like the vibe of not just being a servant but being an exemplary servant and taking pride in that yeah if the aesthetics of the necessary servant are like a little bit feudalistic uh i feel like there's almost this like uh russian propaganda proletarian poster for the unsung champion of like oh you know you're doing your part as like part of something bigger that sort of gives it kind of a noble gloss that the necessary servant doesn't because of because of how those respective ideas are sort of swimming around in the collective unconscious at, at this particular moment in time. Yeah, I think you're right about that. There is definitely something uh, to be said for the idea that, like, nobody really wants to be a servant in the modern era or they are told that they shouldn't be. Yeah, at least certainly... It's like you know we're we're all trapped in in sort of this sort of Western mindset that we live in. So like I don't want to, but I, I feel like that's broadly true. Yeah, continue. Sorry. No, it's true. I mean, like, and this is something that I've been working on with a court pregen, where the idea is kind of that like capitalism is really feudalism in my mind with extra steps. Yes, I agree with that one hundred percent. 
Um, Welcome to our Dirtbag Leftist podcast, JK, JK. Uh, <laughs> I'm not joking about shit. Welcome to my Dirtbag Leftist, leftist podcast. Po- okay, well, since you're on board, I'm, I'm the mask off Dirtbag Leftist podcast. Call it Melon. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, no, it, it is feudalism with extra steps. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Keep, keep, please keep talking about your court pregen. I actually do want to hear about this. Uh, so the court pregen that I'm working on is basically a guy who went, okay, capitalism is feudalism with extra steps. I would like to be that necessary servant. Or if, you know, if no matter what, I am fucked and I cannot possibly rise up the ladder and I will always be stuck serving someone else. I'd like to pick who I'm serving and I would like to believe that they give more of a shit about me than some faceless billionaire would yeah or a board of investors even worse right uh yeah it's it's a great concept i was actually thinking if i play in the court game my concept might be could also like there has some similar energy in the sense that it's someone who doesn't really care about the mission purpose of the court but like uh oh it like owes something sort of like um the character melon had a character in our court game who was in a stridaturge who worked for the court where uh someone from the court had saved them from cancer essentially oh this is um this is rep's girlfriend yeah oh that's right your character ended up dating them fuck that that scene was so good yeah the rep's girlfriend uh is kind of in a similar situation where like it's not that she's necessarily like aligned with them ideologically it's that like well i owe this person now i need to do this um that that to me is more interesting than someone who's like really gung-ho about being someone's servant so like in that sense it's interesting like even uh you know as people playing this game we're sort of tackling it as like oh like uh i don't really like the idea of being somebody's doormat so how do i sort of weasel an interesting story out of it uh that makes that for me anyway makes it so that i can emotionally invest myself in that and not be sort of like well i detest this person so i don't want to live in their head we're about to get a little too real again for a second and i apologize in advance but like that's how life is is i don't like is generally the circumstances that I live in are ideologically intolerable. How do I find a way to tell myself a story about my life that is less pathetic? Yes, but oh, fuck it. Sometimes it do be like that, though. <laughs> that's that's a good observation, though. But like, that's what's one reason why I like playing, you know, games like this is it sort of allows you to both. It allows you to exist in someone's someone else's head, and the process of doing that lets you see things in your own head from outside a little bit. Does that make sense? No, I understand. Yeah, it can definitely have like a therapeutic aspect. Yeah, we'll call it we'll call it therapy light uh, with less cathartic. Less ca- yeah, cathar- catharsis is a good way of explain of describing it. Actually, speaking of things done consciously and unconsciously, <laughs> sometimes <laughs> the act of uh, consciously and trying to embody someone with a different perspective causes me to push things in my unconscious to my conscious uh which which can sometimes be helpful there's something i think to be said for the idea that conscious avatars are aspirational rather than transactional oh i really like that that's a really interesting idea the idea basically like it's not that i want the power of a true king necessarily and that's why i'm consciously channeling it it's that i feel like i am you know an ineffectual doormat and i and by channeling this sort of archetype of of uh self of theoretically selfish rulership i will become that kind of person sort of like how your your brain you can literally lie to yourself uh like i was talking about 
uh, speaking of trying to move from a, a less into a less unsung champion like girl, I was talking about like, oh, maybe I can get some certifications, but I really, really, really hate taking tests. And my cognitive psychologist husband is like, well, just lie to yourself. It's kind of like gaslighting yourself. If you just tell yourself, I love tests over and over, like you can slowly become some, you can sort of trick your brain at least temporarily. <laughs> I love the antichrist. Yes. But that works though. Like if you're a doormat and you're like, I am going to follow the path of the true king. I don't care if I believe it or not. I'm just going to do it until, and I'm going to fake it until I make it. Like you, you could, it would be interesting character to play actually in this game is to play someone who starts consciously channeling an avatar for power and then like just takes on their ideology just from rope, from like doing it over and over. I also think that there's something aspirational about it too. Like, uh, for example, somebody who's going out of their way to channel the mother, not because they want power, but because there is like in their head an ideal of motherhood that they wish they could give to their kids. Like maybe they had a fucked up childhood, mm. uh, which I feel like you probably see for a lot of mother avatars. Um, and they sit down and they go, well, I did not exactly have good examples of parenting that is even adequate. But the avatar of the mother represents like a handbook I can use for what is a good mom. I really like that. That's really, fuck, I want to play that character. I just played a mother avatar. I can't play another one. They're off limits <laughs> for at least a year or two. But yeah, that's, a, oh, I really like that a lot. That's really cool. Like, I, I don't think that purposeful avatar channels have to be ruthlessly transactional. I think that there is something to be said about, you know, this is an ideal and I would like to live up to it rather than keep fumbling around in the dark on my own. Actually, it's interesting you say that too, because in that same game where I played the mother, there was a character who started out as, you know, like a normie, like not an adept or an avatar. Uh, who was like an organizer with this Catholic worker organization, which is like, they're like leftist Catholics basically who do labor stuff. Um, and like she started consciously channeling the firebrand to try and become a more powerful version of like what she was doing. Um, so that's like a, a very good textbook example of that. Hi, Stuart Pate, if you're listening to this, um, of somebody who like intentionally channels an avatar, but like not in a way that's sort of mercenary. And in fact, it's kind of interesting that the game hues so closely to sort of this language, at least in third edition, that implies that a conscious avatar is doing it for kind of mercenary reasons. Yeah, I, I think it's interesting, too, that not only do they talk about conscious avatars as being mercenary, they almost talk about them as being slightly villainous. Yeah. And like, you know, it makes a good villain. I can see I can see like as a GM where like a conscious avatar of something doing it for all the wrong reasons. Like that's a fun idea to play with. But I think it's also fun to play with the idea of like, oh, I really wish, you know, I was the kind of person who uh, who could fight for something you know, no matter the cost and would never waver, I'm, my character is trying to become the warrior. And like the, the interesting contrast you get of, of someone who maybe isn't like that naturally, but is like forcing themselves to hew to this path. Like I, there's something kind of monastic about it. I also think there's something inherently heroic about, you know, I'm a coward, but I would like to be brave. So I will choose to put myself in danger, even though it terrifies the shit out of me. Yes. Yeah, and actually, like, that's a that's a whole fictional archetype. One of my favorite fictional archetypes, actually. Like, anytime that pops up, I, I'm very much on board. Because there is something really, 
there's something to empathize with with somebody who is trying to transform themselves and that's that's the kind of character i usually like to play is a character who starts off one way and, and is trying to transform into something better yeah i also think that there really aren't a whole lot of people out there who are born or are always unafraid and will always do the right thing without needing to think about it i think for most people it's more commonly that I know what the right thing to do is, but I'm afraid to do it for various reasons. Yeah. So the idea of characters going, okay, well, those reasons are still there and they're still terrifying, but I'm going to do the right thing anyway because it's the right thing to do and I have made the conscious rational choice. Yeah. That's, um, I think, more real than most people's experiences. Yeah, I, I, that's uh, a very good point. And actually, it was interesting when I was reading through them, reading uh, The Survivor, which is like a very old archetype, where like my attitude towards survival sort of changed like once I was in uh, like a happy long term committed relationship. Because, like, before, like, when it's just for me, it's like, well, there are other things that aren't me that are more important. But I'm like, well, no, I can't make my partner sad, so I have to live no matter what. <laughs> um, so, like, your experiences can kind of change your perspective on, like, the kind of person that you want to be. So, yeah, I guess yeah. I'm just agreeing with you. I just had a fun no, story I, I wanted I, to tell. <laughs> no, that is true. I mean, like, I definitely had to say this back in a little, too, in my own backstory. Yeah, right. I've, Hey, listener, are you here for me and CJ's tragic backstories? Fucked up, but okay. <laughs> Sorry, you must be at least a level nine friend before you can unlock my tragic backstory. Yeah. <laughs> and that takes about, what, seven more podcast episodes? Exactly. But where I was going with this is that I, I think for a lot of people, the circumstances that you're in do dictate the way that you view the world around you. And that's that's life. I, I think it's very hard for people to turn around and like come up with some sort of unified philosophy unless they're willing to do as the old masters and go out and live in a cave for a couple of decades. Like life will always intrude. The world that you live in is always going to have some kind of impact on the way that you view that world. Yeah. And actually, I know is in some ways good at modeling that with the shock gauges, which is one reason I like it. Although, you know, it's a very, it's kind of a, a negative way of viewing how life changes you. So, you know, it's not complete in that sense, but I do, I still like it. <laughs> yeah, I think there's definitely something there that it is describing that is true. Like, people who have gone through some shit, capital letters, uh, will for sure see the world differently than people who haven't. Yeah. Uh, there was actually something that I was talking with about a friend uh, recently that was related to comic books, but it's it's relevant now, so I'll bring it up now, which is that there is the idea of people who are, you know, who do the right thing or whose worldview is almost like a child's worldview where they, where when something goes wrong or when something is bad or fucked up, they ask why. And then someone says, you know, well, the reason is, is like, you know, well, because it invariably boils down to because life is like that. Mm -hmm. And then that person goes, like a kid would, well, why? Why is life like that? Why do yeah. we have to live like this? When things are bad, why can't we just do the right thing without being worried about, like, will I lose my job if I tell my racist boss to go fuck himself when he said a slur to my coworker? You know, why do I have to live in a world where if I lose my job over this, I won't be able to pay rent as a concern? 
Like, why don't I live in a world where I can just tell that guy to fuck off or where uh, he wouldn't do that in the first place? Um, and I, I think that the unsung champion versus uh, necessary servant switch is to some extent like describing that change. Mm. You know, I would rather be a person who is heroic. I would rather be a person who is doing the right thing because it's the right thing rather than somebody who's in it for the smug superiority of knowing like, yeah, the minute I walk out of here, you fools are fucked. Yeah, that's that's a really good point. Um, And actually, you know, speaking as someone who uh, was thinking about this, too, one of the things that I've done in my life is that um, I don't like staying in a toxic situation, even if people are have become dependent on me in that situation. And so, like, one of the things that I have learned is to basically create pathways for other people to do the work that I'm doing so that if I do have to leave or, you know, it becomes bad and I want to leave, uh, as, as was once the case, th- it's not like there's nothing left, you know what I mean? Like, other people can pick up where I left off. And, like, in that sense, that has become, like, a survival mechanism for avoiding burnout, basically, is, is like, it makes it so you can walk away. Um, and it's interesting because, like, both... The, I, th- I know in the Unsung Champion... With the Unsung Champion, they will break taboo if they walk away like that, but they can pick up doing some other kind of work somewhere else and start over, and I don't know that that's true of the necessary servant in the same way. I don't know. I don't know enough about second edition to, to speak to that, but um, that's what interesting. What I remember from the, neck of, uh, from the necessary servant on that front is that you are kind of defined by the work that you do more than you are by who you're doing it for. Uh, I think one way that I've always visualized it is that the necess- like outside of the Jeeves situation, one other way to be the necessary servant is to be fucking like me. You are the dramatic supervillains uh, sidekick. Yeah. And if you walked away from that, you lose all of your definition. Yeah. Like anything that made you special goes away with the person that you were doing those special things for. Um, And I think it would be harder for a necessary servant to pick up and leave than it would be for an unsung champion. Because I think an unsung champion, if they work for a cause or if the cause changes underneath them to be one that they can't really support anymore, ideologically and they leave, I think that it's easier for them to do that and it's probably better for them to do that than it would be for the necessary servant. If the necessary servant walks away, like, yeah, there's the superiority of going, you know, if I leave your host, but it's also, well, you kind of can't leave. Yeah, because that's you've defined yourself this way completely with yeah. these other people. Because you're a servant and not, uh, you're, not, you're not beholden to a cause, you're beholden to a person. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, well said. I don't know. That's that's just kind of what I've been thinking about. It's. I know that one of the things that we were talking about when we were prepping for this uh, to break kayfabe once again, uh, the guys are gonna have such a hard time editing this. Yeah, fuck you, Frank and Tor. Was the I think something that came up in conversation, or maybe this was just argued with Melon Bread on Discord because that's also oh. I think, where a lot of this is coming from. Is. Uh, arguments in the big discord uh i do love discord. i do love a good argument with melon bread <laughs> uh i think he brought up it was the dark stalker uh where 
the dark stalker is probably impossible to do unconsciously because there are very few people who are like, I want to be Ted Bundy without oh, a like hint a- of like irony or shame. Yeah, there's there's like that's in um that's in like a expansion a splat that for second mm-hmm. edition, right? Yeah, it was from a uh I think it was like from I wanna call it an adventure pack. Like and the villain in that pack or in that adventure was a dark soccer. Uh and Dark Soccer is basically every slasher movie villain. Yeah, like, it feels uh, like every Jallo bad guy. Yeah, it, it feels like with that one, maybe they needed they needed that for the story and uh, <laughs> wasn't yes. so. But yeah, like even you know, I'm not uh, I'm not a psychologist. My understanding is most people who behave that way, they do feel like they have a cause that they're like justified in. It's just that their uh, their heart is very fucked. Um, yes, in that sense, like um, you can almost make a character like that a warrior archetype, like. If, you know, if you really believe that, like, I don't know, all women are evil or, or whatever, I don't I don't want to get too much into the psychology of serial killers, but feel free if, if I know some people. This is not a true crime podcast. This is not, this is not a true crime podcast, and I don't listen to true crime podcasts, so this is what you get. Um, but, like, my understanding is most of those people, like, really believe that. It's, that's part of what makes it, like, so unnerving in a way. Yeah, most people who do fucked up and deeply violent things all the time without collapsing yeah. uh, have something going on with the wiring in their head that makes it fascinating to study for some people. That's why we have 8 billion incredibly successful true crime podcasts out there on the internet and only, like, one Unknown Armies podcast that I can think of. It's true. Well, I mean, in the way Unknown Armies treats kind of dark material, too, but, like, only in a fictional context, which I think, I guess, makes a difference. I don't know. I'm not into true crime podcasts, so I don't really understand. But I know that my fictional comedy goofs podcast is not doing as well as true crime podcasts, so I don't know. Maybe society is wrong. Society is always wrong. Yeah. And we're back uh, to the de- we're back to Denny's parking lot. We are. Everyone <laughs> should just show up personally to fight me. I have opinions. Uh, I feel like maybe I should set this up in some sort of like take on a kissing booth. Just show up at Denny's, pay me five dollars, and you can hit me <laughs> once really hard. But you have to promise to only do good in the world afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> I, I feel like speaking of melon bread, you would definitely be the person who would sell tickets for that. Just show up and punch CJ really hard. <laughs> Give Melon five dollars. He gets paid twice. Oh, what a what a what an insane image. <laughs> uh, Melon Bright, if you're listening, you're still my friend, and I appreciate your company. But I also understand that you would probably <laughs> like laugh really hard and enjoy it if I got punched. If I followed through on what I keep threatening to have people do, <laughs> I can see that. Uh... I keep telling people to fight me. Because they're cowards. I think Melon would be uh, pleased if I put my money where my mouth was for once. He would probably have an incredible meme for it. I'm yeah. sure. I, I wish I could... I wish I had his meme ability. There's, like, multiple things that... This is... Welcome to Melon Bread Corner, where we talk about Melon Bread. Uh, there's, like, multiple <laughs> things Melon Bread has said in chat that have just leaked into my, like, real-life discourse. Like, just all the time now. Uh, hello? Base department? Just, like, comes up in conversation. <laughs> Uh, based. Yes, based indeed. Truly a goon among goons. Uh, going going back, the Dark Stalker is one that I don't think you can do unconsciously. 
based on that like capacity for violence issue but also in just like it's interesting because uh, the reason why Dark Stalker came up in that conversation had been because we were talking about the Naked Goddess because of my perpetual axe to grind. Uh, but I was saying that there are, if you can't do an avatar unconsciously, then it's not an avatar. And he brought up the Dark Stalker as a rebuttal, but that has since made me keep thinking about other rebuttal cases, like the Merchant. Yeah, the Merchant. You straight up can't use the last two Merchant channels if you're not doing it on purpose. Yeah. I feel like, you know, it's interesting to ponder the idea of, like, because you start out not knowing and then wake up one day and, like, have a realization, but it's hard to imagine playing a character that isn't, like, from the get-go all about those those deals, those steals and those deals. Right. Like, the merchant, the reason why people want to play that one in the game is because of that second channel where you can sell intangibles. Yeah. Uh, and you can't use that one if you don't know that it's there. Yeah. No, it's just, there's no way. If you don't know that that's a possibility, you cannot sell an intangible. You can't sell the color of someone's eyes or, you know, figure out the exact price of their virtue if that is not a possible concept in your head. Yeah. The only way I think you could maybe finagle it is if you diegetically believe that you, well, you have some sort of supernatural power like that. But like, is that is that different from consciously walking an avatar path? Okay, well, here's a, here's a puzzle to... to Turn it back to Stuart Pate's game. Hi, Stuart, if you're listening. Um, there's a there's a healer in our game, and one of the healer channels that you use a lot is you can heal people just by like touching them. And the character in the game believes they're a saint and that they can heal people by channeling divinity. And it's it's sort of like does that is that unconsciously channeling something, or are you still consciously channeling it? If you know you have special powers, you just have a weird explanation for them. Yeah, I mean, and I think that's interesting is, does that count? Um, like, you could probably have a dark stalker who is unconscious. They're just powered by the idea that, like, whatever insane thing that they believe. You know, I really do believe that all women are demons, and if I kill them, uh, the demons will come out and they'll be redeemed in death. Like, that is a explicitly supernatural belief, but it's not, is that consciously channeling the dark stalker if, you know, you've picked up the trappings of the dark stalker along the way while yeah. pursuing, like, completely different insane unhinged belief yes that's a really good question that i don't have an answer to (laughs) (laughs) um the true king would also be like that too like well like i was in a game where my husband was playing a true king and like he understood that he was a true king but it started out by like him just being emotionally attached to his neighborhood and then he sort of grew, grew into it by you know playing at that role but like at some point you you have to like whatever your explanation is you have to realize you're channeling something i know i guess if i was a gm i'd say that's conscious at that point but you know it's it's kind of depends on how you look at it i also feel like eventually at some point you will if you do hit godwalker you start to get up into the high levels well yeah your avatar is gonna come say hi yeah then we get back to the theme music thing but it's like a lot you know bigger and badder you know events converge that your avatar will appear to you in some form however uh inscrutable and like you can't really tell yourself that things are that things are normal anymore yeah and i I, that's interesting to me like i I know that happened in the actual play uh to i think it was conscience who was playing an avatar i did not listen to the actual play but uh there was an actual play that they did where i think it was conscience someone was playing a character who at the end of the adventure got effectively propositioned by the martyr oh interesting Um, and realized that a lot of the supernatural horse shit that had been happening in their life up to that point was 
explicitly the martyr meddling with them. And uh, that led to a great moment in the actual play where the character tackled Jesus off the side of a boat in a flying tackle and started screaming about how Jesus made him gay. (laughs) Oh, that's delightful. Uh, However, the key point here is that it is Jesus as Gigi Allen. So like Gigi Allen in the white robe with the red sash. I need to look that up. I I don't. Excellent actual play. Strongly recommend. Well, I'll have to listen to it at some point now, I guess. I have to Google Gigi Allen because I don't know what that is. Musician. Okay. Thank you. Sorry. Musician and uh, critically absolutely batshit. Ah. Oh, okay. I think. Oh, I know who this is now. Yes. Okay. Thank you. Thank you for bringing me up to speed. Um, yes, I know exactly who this is. <laughs> yeah, I do feel like in a lot of UA games I've been in, the the statosphere does not come up uh, all that often in the way that I expect. Uh, or, or maybe in the way I don't expect. But like, I, and it's usually not much a natural phenomena either when adepts do stuff, but that's a whole other topic that I won't, I won't really touch. But um, there's less, I, I do think that's an interesting route to go down to, to if you want to make the switch is, is like, uh, you know, maybe, maybe the Satisphere has got something to say. <laughs> maybe they get involved. <laughs> right. I wonder almost if that's kind of the thing that happens is, uh, when the avatar puts their finger on the scale specifically to flip somebody from unconscious to conscious because you get more power as a conscious avatar. Like, going back to the merchants, I wonder if that is a thing that happens to some merchants when they get up past that second channel but they've never used it. Like, that they've got a rating that's far over that second channel where you hit 50%. Uh, But they've never used that second channel because they're not a conscious merchant and they have no idea that it fucking exists. I wonder if the avatar themselves just kind of, like, shows up and leans down to say like hey uh not to like ruin your grind or whatever but your hustle would be infinitely more efficient if you could use this other thing that you know you don't know you have i'm telling you that you have it welcome to the underground yeah no that's that's good <laughs> so i don't i don't have any uh i don't have any revelations i just think that 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 rules and you should if you're listening to this you should do it um <laughs> I guess that's another court region I should work up. Uh, yeah, and actually, there's a, a in the Firebrand game that I have, Firestarter. Um, there's a moment in well, each character has a moment in their backstory when they realize that they're supposedly realize that they're supernatural, but only one character who has the comeback from the dead channel is like actually 100% unequivocally like there is something supernatural about me. Um, because when you come back from the dead, like it's sort of hard to to gloss that right. over uh an interesting way to do that would be to say like the the avatar of the firebrand like actually appears to them and like they there's no there's no question about what they are mm-hmm. i think like it's interesting to have somebody mistaken about what they are like temporarily mistaken like i'm what we were talking about with the dark soccer where it's you know i'm not i i'm not actually a serial killer or if i i don't think of myself as one what i'm really here to do is some like religious quest yeah I don't know. I just I find that more interesting to me. I think that there's more fun to be had with how people flip from unconscious to conscious, and I guess you kind of can't go the other way short of having a traumatic brain injury. Yes, or someone uh, doing some kind of supernatural something or other to you. Um, yeah, even the House of uh, Renunciation or what is it? Rooms. Rooms of Renunciation. Yeah. Thank you. They wouldn't even that like doesn't cause knowledge to get sucked out of your brain. Yes. That, as far as I know, that's correct. But yeah, like, I do think that 
you know, from a character arc perspective, that is often more, much more interesting to switch from unconscious to conscious than to start out the game and be like, yes, I'm going to be, I'm going to follow this path. I heard about it from Bob, the, the, in the occult underground, and we're going to see what happens. Uh, and then again, unless in the circumstance we talked about earlier, you're doing it because you're trying to become a different kind of person, and this is a way of doing that for you. Um, I think there's there's just not as much gas in somebody who's like, I just want to be powerful, and this is a way to do it. Uh, especially because, you know, if you're going to do an insane thing to become powerful, probably an adept uh, path is an easier way to do that. What's interesting, too, is uh, this came up in the Brethren game with uh, Rachel the Merchant, is that Rachel was raised, basically, with that artifact, uh, not artifact, with that art avatar path. Yes. And that was, to Rachel, like, Rachel didn't really have any interest in the metaphysical struggles of what it means to be an avatar or anything going on with uh, the status sphere. Rachel was just in it for this is the way that I will get power and already believed in the shit that made her a good merchant going in. Like everything is transactional. Everything has a price. That's not good or evil. That's just how life works. And I'm going to stack the deck in my own favor so that deals I'm involved in will not only always be fair, but always will come out to my benefit. Yeah, that was a great character for that reason. Like, in less capable hands, I might have been like, this is just, you know, cheap power gaming, but that's something that, you know, I don't know if, I don't know if that his name is public, so it's something the player managed mm-hmm. to do really well, um, is to, to really make me believe that this character's, like, moral compass was part of that. Uh, and it also worked really well with, like, the whole angle of this This character was from a family of Brahmin and, like, sort of embedded in this this Massachusetts, like, high roller culture. Uh, just, uh, it was a, it, it all meshed together very well. Uh, and in a way that, yes, they were conscious, but, like, not in a way that where they cared about uh, ascending or whatever. It was about, you know, it's all about that grind. It's all about that hustle. Yeah. Like, Rachel would have been doing that sort of shit, even if there was no magic involved. Yes. It just would have been like, well, what I have is money and the ability to to move money around or tr- transact things, and so I'm going to do that for the, for the greater good. <laughs> yeah, like, even if there was no magic involved, Rachel still would have been a character who did that whole uh, I trade a red paperclip eventually for a house yes. sort of journey. Yes, absolutely. Uh, you know, just purely on, like, okay, well, I can trade the paperclip for like six paper clips or whatever the fuck I can just keep going up the ladder until I have a house and then I don't know swap the house for liquid assets because those are easier to move uh, which yeah. which made Rachel a more fun character to interact with but also I think was an interesting take on a conscious merchant like yeah. it, it is looking for power it is a really conscious grab for power but it wasn't like mystical power it was just regular real life power yeah and it, it made Rachel I think more likable for that because her approach very much was this is just how the world works uh you know if I'm gonna live in if this is the world that I live in I'm going to turn it to the kind of world that I want it to be basically yeah it, it like you normally would not be able to fit a merchant into a crew of pirates mm-hmm. but Rachel perfectly fit into a crew of pirates yes absolutely uh and it was fun the interplay between like her and like tall like this th- who I play is like this very like naive character is like very much against the idea of things being trained transactional and like her kind of convincing him to go along with it was that was a lot of fun to role play yes yeah, always great i think the other thing that was very funny too is that the one time that tall was missing from an adventure the other three characters uh immediately 
speaking of swapping red paper clips for stuff, immediately went around town trading people their heart's desires for their eyeballs and yes. saved a bunch of children who had cancer for that reason. Like they were like, where are people who are in desperate need of help that we don't mind helping, uh, who might be willing to give up an eyeball for that help? And it's like probably all the parents in a leukemia ward. Is It's funny because it's like, I, I think about it, I'm like, did they do a bad thing or a good thing? I'm not really sure. Uh, it, it is kind of an interesting twist on the sense in which I often, and this is actually why I often joke about being the mother archetype, in which I play like the mom or the moral compass in a, in a role-playing game. And like a lot of times when that happens and I'm not there, people just act like fucking murder hobos. Like it's not, it's not like an interesting... <laughs> It's not like an interesting kind of bad behavior, you know what I mean? It's it's an uninteresting kind of bad behavior, but like uh, that's like a very interesting thing to do when the, the quote unquote moral compass isn't around. It's like, well, we believe that ultimately, like this is the, this is in the service of the greater good, and like it's it's transactional. The power does not but, work in a way like where we could just fix those kids' cancer for free. Yeah, yeah. Like, it's like, well, you know, it has to be transactional and we need something. So, I mean, we're still curing leukemia. So, in a way, we're the good guys. As opposed to, like, you know, a lot of times people would be like, well, we had to burn down that building because of six half-baked reasons that kind of make sense, but probably don't. Right. (laughs) And in in this case with the merchant, it's like the power just doesn't work if it's not transactional. Yeah. Like, you have to give something up in order to get something else that is just or otherwise the power will fizzle out and not go anywhere yeah and if it's like oh you can have cancer or you can lose an eye like that's not a hard choice for most people (laughs) yeah and it's definitely interesting because some of the character interactions that we got out of that too was like watching the parents debate over like no one sat there and went no i will not give up my eyeball for my kid's life it was more parents sitting down and arguing about like well, which one of us can stand to lose an eye. Uh, that's that's so good though. I'm a little I'm a little sad I missed that. Although it never would have probably never would have happened if I was there because like that is uh, speaking of like telling yourself a story about things because of the society you live in. Like that is what it would come down to. You know, like we live we live in a society. It's like okay, we both have to provide for this child. Like who can? It's not about like is someone going to lose the eye? It's about like who can afford to because of like the nature of your job. Yeah. So in that conversation, what wound up happening is that the father kept his eyes and the mom didn't because she worked service jobs and he did construction. Oh man, that's real. (laughs) And it was literally like, you know, if this was a better world, we wouldn't have to be having this conversation. Mm -hmm. But because this is the world that we live in and this is the story that we tell ourselves, Rachel is doing a good thing by trading an eyeball for, you know, curing the kids cancer. But man, it's fucked up that shit has to be like this, huh? Yeah, really wrinkles your brain. It really does. I mean, I find this kind of stuff fascinating, which is probably yeah. part of why I like UA so much, is because you really can dig into, well, why is it that way? Yeah, no, and I actually you have I characters who can sit down and go like, well, it shouldn't be like that. I'm going to make it not be like that. Yeah. Like, you are empowered to do that. Uh, you did it, ultimately. Uh, it's one reason why Unknown Army speaks to my experience as an organizer, I think, much better than some games that are explicitly supposed to be about organizing, is because, like, organizing my experience was like, oh, there's there's no something for nothing. Like, and the people who think that you can just be good and there's not going to be any price to pay or you're not going to get your hands dirty in in any way at all by like you know whether it's by like working with someone you don't really like that much or whether it's by um working in a system you don't really like that much like 
the people who are determined not to do that, like they don't exercise power a lot of the time or perhaps any of the time. Uh, and Unknown Armies is a game that foundationally understands that. It's the, it's a depressing thing that they say about incrementalism. Yes. Where yeah. It's like de- incrementalism is such a de- fucking depressing philosophy, which is the idea that like you constantly have to be compromising your beliefs or your ideals in order to get progress towards making those ideals a reality. But, like, show me something else that works, bro. Yeah, I will also say, like, I don't feel like you really have to be a quote-unquote incrementalist for this to be true. Like, you know, if you believe, like, you know, if I look at, like, incremental, non-incrementalist ideas that that work, or sometimes that don't work, like, there's still things that you have to do to compromise yourself. It's just that that might be, like, you know, <clears throat> killing someone. In yeah, some I was about to say, cases. like, that is... <laughs> That's uh, compromising yourself. <laughs> There, I mean, there's uh, there was a tweet that was going around recently that was politicians have forgotten that they can be killed, uh, though I'm sure that after the last 48 hours they've been sharply reminded. Um, yeah, right. Or like even in some of some of the nicey, more nicey nice versions of that that are less incrementalist. Like let's say you want to do you know a general strike, like that's still like hours and hours of of you know backbreaking, not literally maybe work that you're doing to organize, and a lot of organizing to do a general strike involves working with unions many of which are compromised with people who hold political political or social beliefs you may not find so awesome <laughs> yeah or you have to get the money for a strike fund from somewhere yeah you have to get the money for a strike fund from somewhere you have to get the you know like it's even if you're not like you know the sort of the classic incrementalism is you know elections but like even the things that are supposedly more pure that aren't elections like you're still getting your hands dirty just in a different way <laughs> yeah which i think is deeply interesting to me uh yeah like i don't know i find that very fascinating the idea that you have to give something up in order to get things in return and conscious avatar channeling for a lot of people is that exact sort of transactional uh relationship where the person on the other end of the transaction is your avatar. Like, if I dance along and I play this nicely enough, you will give me power for, you know, entertaining you effectively. Yes. Advancing your goals, I guess. Yeah, I mean, and what I find fun about that, too, is that, like, in the meta-narrative sense, uh, the person at the other end of the transactional relationship there is the GM. Like, it's not the avatar, it's the GM. It's true. Whether or not you have entertained them sufficiently or played the avatar straight enough that you deserve to get the extra points at the end of the game for doing it right. Yeah. Finally, the GM has some power. Oh my god. Uh, A statement I have made both sincerely and sarcastically. GM is the world, or at least they are the mirror through which you see the world, so the GM is the statusphere metaphor gets a little more tortured and a little more uh, extended. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, I think there's something to be said about potentially you and I sitting down and doing corkboarding or a game full of like unconscious avatars oh yeah or like a mix even conscious Mm -hmm. but like under the parameters we've set like they have to they have to want it for reasons that aren't just power because that's boring i mean unless they're a gmc i guess maybe that's fine but like you know what i mean they're all Uh, maybe fuck this could even be a bunch of like milk successors or grown-ups or people who've had a brush with that um i I haven't listened to the Milk episode, but I, I actually secretly kind of love Milk as a concept. And actually, the one of the campaign splats I'd like to write someday uses Milk as an antag. Uh, so I wouldn't mind doing that at all. Yeah, something that's interesting to me about that is I think they should go in squares. 
or at least there should be some characters who are escapees from the milk or grew up out of that program uh, should be involved in squares. I can see that. Should have gotten their hands on one of those kids. I can see that. That's really, that's actually a really interesting idea. Um, Fuck it. We should just do another podcast episode that is prep for squares. I, yeah. And obviously uh, Melon, who we've uh, been talking behind in front of back the whole time <laughs> have to be on that episode. Uh, but yeah sense. I would love to talk about squares it's funny because like me and Melon like when it comes to like how an actual session the anatomy of a session exists for me and Melon it's like very different like I always run like these very like uh, squishy like kind of psychodramatic games that are about like feelings and stuff and Melon's like yeah it's like all like a it's it's like it's delta great. He can explain wh- how he thinks about it better than I can, so I'm not gonna I'm not gonna try. Uh, listen to an episode with Melon on it. Um, but like <laughs> when we, I find that we write really well together. Like we bounce off each other's ideas well, or at least I I bounce off his ideas well. I can't speak for him, but uh, which is very interesting to me that like despite kind of our different play philosophies, uh, I get a lot out of talking to him about unknown armies. <laughs> Yeah, I think uh, that's that's how I'll end before I stop recording, which is, Corman Frank, how do you feel about if you need to do another filler episode, you just get me and Kate and Mellon in a room together and we'll talk about squares. Yeah. I will fight with Mellon for your entertainment. <laughs> <laughs> and I will put my money where my mouth is and yeah. yes. <laughs> fight other people while Mellon collects the metaphorical yes. dollars. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, it's it was a pleasure talking to you. Uh, I, I feel the vague anxiety has been somewhat lifted. So perhaps I either I have either accepted my role as the unsung champion or I'm, I'm ready to walk away from the path with no regrets and just become uh, a normie. <laughs> that or you realized that like everyone else who lives in America, your phones are being tapped and your yeah. Amazon Echo is listening to you. Absolutely. I Yeah, there's a reason I don't have one of those or a ring. <laughs> Yeah, uh, in general, voice recognition tech spooks me real bad. Don't yeah, like it's it. Bad. Don't want it in my house. Anytime my phone gives me the notification saying that uh, voice processing assistant is on, I like turn it off. Yeah, go away. Why? Because yeah. that means the microphone is passively on, and you're just listening to me. Shut the fuck up. Yeah, no, that's that's fucked up. And on that note, <laughs> let's chat again soon. <laughs> CJ. Always a pleasure. <laughs>